The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. McClure's music attempts to discover beauty in unconventional places using non-traditional means. Visual art, poetry, the natural world, neurological and mathematical concepts are all elements that influence McClure's work. His work has been featured at festivals including the New York City Electronic Music Festival, the Beijing Modern Music Festival, the Toronto International Electroacoustic Symposium, Seamus, IDRS, ISCM, and ICMC. His works may be found through the Adjective New Music, LLC, Bakovich Music Publications, Imagine Music Publications, Innovative Percussion, Media Press Incorporated, Resolute Music Publications, and Tap Space Publications, as well as on the Ablaze, Albany, and New Focus record labels. In addition to his composition activities, Robert is the host-producer of the Adjective New Music podcast, Lexical Tones a weekly conversation with a guest composer, performer, and or artist creating new works of contemporary art music that focuses on aesthetics, technique, process, meaning, perception, and the musical origins of the featured guest. Robert received his doctorate from the Shepherd School of Music at Rice University, where his primary mentors were Shi Hu Chen, Arthur Gottschalk, and Kurt Stallman. 
Robert has previously held positions at the Shanghai Conservatory of Music, and he currently serves as an assistant professor of composition theory at Ohio University. On today's podcast, we listen to Flora for alto and tenor saxophones, written for and recorded by the Deco Ensemble. I'm not really a composer who is like, I listen to a piece of music and that triggers me to go write music. You view the world with musical lenses. Yeah. You know, so whenever I am like looking at a piece of visual art or dance or looking at something scientific or watching a, uh, you know, a nature documentary or something like that. And kind of learning about these other things that my, my other interests, I kind of view them through like, well, how could I turn that into music? You know? And I, I think that's for me, a lot of where the initial spark for a piece comes from. Now, of course, that's like the creative side, but the realistic side is where does it start? It starts from somebody like, Hey, you want to write a piece for me? Right. Or right, something yeah. like that, you know, like, yeah. So you're constantly inspired by other extra musical things. What happens next then? Do we get right to the piano and pencil and paper? Um, what's the next step after you're inspired? Typically, there's a good portion of time where I will just like write down text about it. You know, I kind of yeah. like to let things marinate, percolate, let the ideas just kind of work themselves out in my you know, when I'm in the 10 minutes before I'm falling asleep or <laughs> right, know, when yeah, I'm well, driving in the car where there's no possible way I could ever like work on. The <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's there's typically a good bit of, uh, you know, just just having these generic thoughts. And that's that's my favorite part. That's my favorite yeah. part of the compositional process is when the piece is vague in details, but also the feeling of it is just absolutely crystal clear in your, in your mind. It's, it's when you get to the like, Hey, let's choose some notes and rhythms that I'm like, Ugh, this is, right. this is a little bit of a drag right now. <laughs> 
Well, so you're writing these things down, and I've heard a lot of people say that. I, I don't do this, but I've heard a lot of people say that, that they that they are writing about what they're going to create or, or an idea. So how detailed is this writing? Is this more specific to sort of length and proportions of the piece? How detailed is it? Uh, it it kind of depends. Actually, I, I'm pulling open my notebook from, uh, from Flora right now, and mm-hmm. that piece, uh, it it really started with the, um, with the ensemble. So mm-hmm. I had a meeting with them and I wrote down a bunch of ideas from them. But then uh, he, I'll, I'll just read you my first page of, of, for Flora. Uh, ideas underlined at the top. Need a theme to tie them together. Uh, isolation, uh, because th- this was written during. Yes, yes. <laughs> I um, think everyone's dealing with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was I was reading um, Big Sur by Jack Kerouac mm. at the time. Oh, everything every everything is a musical event. We were yep. just talking about that, and um, by we I mean another guest. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I had also kind of picked up and put down a bunch of times Walden. So I was like, mm-hmm. are are any of these things doing it for me? Not really. Mm-hmm. Colors, maybe minerals, plants. I've been so interested in this for another project, and it's like that's that's usually how it how it runs. Um, so, so they're almost like prompts for yeah. they're like questions saying, "Look more into this. What about this? What? A, yeah, yeah, yeah." I was I was just gonna the the piece I'm working on right now. The very first page of it was uh, try working with this uh, this pitch system. Um, there's it's gonna start with a chord progression that's maybe even serialized and the chord progressions will dictate the scales that you actually hear and the chords will be in the electronics. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's just these vague ideas uh, to, to begin with. But I, I, I actually like what you just said there. They're, they are kind of prompts. Like think about this, think about this. Could this do that? So we have these prompts and at some point we do get to notes on a page. Um, if it's that type of piece, if it's an electroacoustic piece, maybe not. But, um, you know, in the in instance of Flora, I mean, you had musicians and, you know, the most common way to communicate with musicians is to put notes on a page. So when do we get to that stage? And then how involved are the musicians in that stage of actually putting notes on a page? That stage happens when it... <laughs> Kind of the last possible moment it can happen. When it has to, right? Yeah, Yeah, when when it has to happen. When it has to happen, exactly. (laughs) Uh, That those those deadlines are very useful. Um, (laughs) Yep. It typically happens in front of a piano, pencil and paper, with my notebook in front of me, with my ideas. If I've already done some like uh, pre-compositional pitch systems or or other Mm -hmm. stuff, that is all sitting in front of me, and I like to do all that work up front so that when I get to the piano, I'm not thinking, oh, well, let me take this set and transpose it and invert it. And that gets me my next pitch set. It's like, no, I want to have all of that in front of me so I can sit at the piano and I can improvise with the materials I've already developed.
The piece Flora was composed for the Deco Ensemble, and that is Jake, uh, Jacob Swanson and Sarah Martitelli. They are the composers, performers. They want to play your piece 20 times. They yeah. want to work with you. They want to try things. They're extremely creative and, and I mean, immensely talented. So it was it was just fantastic working with Jake and Sarah. Tell me a little bit about this sort of source of inspiration and how that turned into six miniature pieces uh, that that create Flora or that make up Flora. The the whole reason it's plants is just because I was actually interested in color theory first. Yeah. Um, and the the six plants represent the three primary and three secondary colors. So six colors, that made sense to me. And then I started looking at the different flowers. And, you know, um, the one of the first ones I found, I started searching for red. And I found the uh, red passion flower, which is the first movement. And um, it just explodes. It's a burst. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's against this, you know, uh, this green leaves and everything. And then you see this burst of red and these yellow and, or sorry, uh, purple and white tendrils coming out from, uh, well, they're not tendrils, but I guess stamens. Um, <laughs> I haven't done my research properly. Um, anyway, they, they have we, the, we need a flower specialist. Yeah, we, we really do. Where's a botanist when you need one? Yeah, there um, you go. <laughs> so uh, the, the, it, it's just an explosion of color. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, well, there's a musical idea, you know, to have these kind of, uh, gestures between the two saxophones that will just will just burst. And one of the one of the ideas I had was trying to uh, seamlessly tie the two saxophones together so that one will start a gesture and another will finish it. And in by in doing so, you know, you might slur up and then articulate fast notes down. It just makes the gesture easier. So this idea of like kind of combining them together to make this like super uh, or, or hyper saxophone, you know, between the two of them, that seemed like, oh, I can realize, I can realize this idea of this like burst of color with these, uh, with these musical gestures that I was like kind of interested in in the saxophone anyway. <laughs> thing I noticed, and this was very striking even before I looked at the score, like just listening to the piece, uh, when we get to miniature four, it felt like now there was some aleatory going on or there felt like there was some freedom 
that that wasn't in the other miniatures. And uh, looking back, it, it you mentioned in the program notes that you were working with something called a proportional score. So can you tell us a little bit about that fourth miniature and your use of proportional scores? Um, this is not the first time I've written music uh, in proportional notation. You know, basically mm -hmm. there are no bar lines. Um, a system of music is a certain num a certain length of time or a certain duration. And within that duration, the rhythms are up to the players. There are certain points where, you know, they kind of have to work to synchronize together, but those are just like moments. And from those hit points, they can kind of desync de again. This technique seemed to work uh, for this movement because I was talking, uh, the, the movement is about seagrass. And, you know, if you, if you imagine, you know, waves Absolutely. moving through seagrass, it's not, it's not metric. It's, it's very free. It can, you can get these very quick motions that, that then kind of like slow down and, and expand. And I just thought that that working with time in that way, it seemed better to write it in a proportional score as opposed to like a strictly notated metered uh, score. <laughs> I think that talent is often associated with, you know, like prodigy or something like that. Yeah. And I have never really been all that impressed by prodigy. I am very impressed by someone who plays the long game, someone yeah. who, who works at it, keeps going. They change. We have to separate talent and ability. Right. Um, some, some people are just 
they just naturally have ability, you know? Others can work hard and develop that ability. For me, I think talent is the, what you have inside yourself that when you fail, you get back up and keep going. You know, I think very talented composers are those that can keep going, keep writing, keep reinventing themselves until they get where they want to go, until they become the, the composer that they want to. For, for, me to, for me to say like, oh, the student like isn't really talented, it's, it's putting a lot of weight on me as the like, uh, as the judge of like. Yeah, the gatekeeper of talent. You exactly, are the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it, and You're it, the Simon Cowell of uh, right. composition teachers, yeah. <laughs> right, and I don't, I don't want to be that. Um, no, no. <laughs> I, I, you know, certainly there, there, are, there are skills there are things you've got to learn. There are things that, um, you know, that are more important, less important. But I've definitely had students that have a ton of ability and maybe even work hard, but they can't pick themselves back up from, yeah. from, not, from their music not doing what they, what they thought it was going to do. And I think it's that resilience that uh, leads someone to a long career. I mean, certainly there are those prodigies out there that we know about, you know, piano sure. or violin or wh- yeah. whatever they do, that they will make an entire career of it. But how many prodigies burn out because yeah. they, can't, they can't keep reinventing themselves? They have so much ability, but they don't have the resilience to when that ability just becomes old hat to everyone, what do I do with my life? Well, yeah, now you're 25 and good at the piano and that's not really that exciting. Yeah, exactly. When it's, when you're three and playing Mozart, you know, wow, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. But like you say, when you get older, it's like, yeah, you're playing Mozart. Mm -hmm. Okay. Everyone is like, (laughs) what what else can you do? And like, I, I think that, you know, I love hard work. I love the idea of, I love the Stravinsky idea. Get up, do it, you know? Even if, even if you suck, just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people have natural ability. I think talent comes from the, the resilience you have to continue to evolve, to continue to keep at it when you could just as easily slip into, oh, yeah, I'm 25. I've been playing this Mozart piece for 22 years, and I can just do it. You know, yeah. I think a lot of people lose their their kind of creative spark by just kind of getting lazy. Rob, this has been uh, fantastic listening to you, uh, listening to your music, uh, Flora. It's a fantastic piece. Before I let you go, um, is there a place that people can go to find out more about you and your music? Yeah, well, uh, first, Doug, thanks thanks so much for having me on this. This was really fun. People can go to my website, which is robertwmcclure.com. They can uh, find a list of my pieces, where to go to listen to them. I have stuff on SoundCloud, Bandcamp, YouTube, Spotify. So the, the, the website is the primary place. Um, you can, if you are interested in um, checking out scores, uh, a lot of those are available through adjectivenewmusic.com. And, um, and along with Adjective, uh, you mentioned before, I do my own podcast uh, with contemporary composers. 
and uh, and performers and different artists. And that's the Lexical Tones podcast, which you can find on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, basically anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find Lexical Tones. Thanks to Rob for sharing his time and music with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out other episodes in the series. And as always, like, subscribe, and leave a comment on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this has been The Process.